Hello and welcome to Rooted Together Podcast, a podcast which aims to root you in Christ through His Word together. I'm your host, Charles Hegwood, and today we are going to be in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 with an episode entitled, The Man of Lawlessness. So we now enter into one of the more difficult passages to understand in all of the Bible, the man of lawlessness. As Paul is going to refer to him, is a mystery. And spoilers, I'm not going to solve this mystery here today. Many pastors and theologians have conceded that this side of heaven we can't fully know what Paul meant in this chapter concerning specifically the man of lawlessness. There are books, articles, videos that you can read and watch to your heart's content, and that's fine. It's good and noble. I want you to always seek to understand as much as possible. But for this episode today, I don't seek to solve the mystery. But instead, I want to ask this question. What is God saying to the church today through this passage and chapter? Now, we always ask when we are trying to find the meaning of the text, what did God say to the original audience? But we have to build the bridge and say, what is he saying still today? And I think when we look at the teaching of the man of lawlessness, you can get lost in the mystery of it all. But I want to bring it back to what is God saying to the church to to be able to live for Christ and to know Christ better today. You see, we cannot simply concede mystery and move past this chapter. That's not an option, as if God cannot use it. God is still speaking in and through 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 today as much as he was when it was first written. So to guide our reflections and our meditations through this chapter, let me give you three practical applications for this chapter. As I read it and I meditated over it, these are the three practical applications that that God kind of revealed to me through this chapter as I kind of chewed on a lot of the mystery of it all and chewed on the words that Paul wrote. It is this. I'm going to give you the three and then we're going to break them down into smaller pieces. So one, let us refocus on what is good and true. Number two, focus on the hope found in Jesus. And number three, encouragement to stand firm in an uncertain world. So let's dive in. So number one, again, is let us refocus on what is good and what is true. It is in verses one and two that we see the main problem that led to the writing of this letter. So let me read it. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily upset or troubled, either by prophecy or by message or by letters supposedly from us, alleging that the day of the Lord, that would be Jesus' return, has come. So, Paul addresses a real problem of an unknown person who has given the Thessalonians a lie, bad doctrine, untrue theology. This person attacks where spiritual enemies often attack. The Thessalonians' hope in Christ, and ultimately our hope in Christ. 
If you look at all heresies and all bad theology, they really do that. They undermine the hope that we have that Jesus saves us and that he's coming back to get us. The enemy speaks lies that attack this hope. The Thessalonians are convinced, or at least some of them are convinced, that they have missed Jesus' return, meaning that Jesus has left them there. Thank you know, been left behind. How hopeless that would be. What is Paul's remedy to this untrue, bad doctrine, this all-out lie? That, by the way, someone apparently had tried to mimic Paul's writing through a letter or through a message to convince them. And actually, in chapter 3, Paul will address that as he says, This is my mark. I'm writing you with my own hand. Because someone has basically tried to come in and use Paul's name to give them a lie bad theology, bad doctrine, and he's now reminding them, uh, or he's going to point them to what they should do. So he reminds them of what he taught them. He brings the Thessalonians to question, uh, sorry, he brings the Thessalonians to question questionable sources. What's the practical application today? It is this, when we are dealing with lies, bad doctrine, bad theology, no good sources of doctrine. For the Thessalonians, they had Paul in his writings. We need to know good sources of doctrine and theology. We need to have a trusted pastor, theologian, friend, mentor, in whom you can go to for good information and truth. You can read good books from trusted pastors and theologians. Follow good, trusted preaching, and most importantly, dig deep in God's Word and know it. Put it on your, put it in your heart, on your mind. Refocus from the lie back to the truth. Number two, focus on the hope found in Jesus. Remember that what has been eroded is their hope in Jesus. So he refocuses them first to a good source. And for Paul, that would be his writings and his teachings that they know. And he focuses them back on his teaching. And then he focuses them to focus on the hope they have in Jesus. So the second way Paul seeks to repair the damage of this bad doctrine, this lie, is to bring their focus to Christ. He does this through a somewhat mysterious teaching of what's called the man of lawlessness. So let's read through it. Now many people have read through it, and I meant, again, the hope of this episode and the aim of this episode is that we don't get lost in the mystery of it all. So let's jump into verse 3. It says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way for that day, that would be the day of Jesus' return, will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or worship object of worship so that he sits in God's temple proclaiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember that when I was still with you, I used to tell you about this, and you know what currently restrains him, 
that would be Jesus, by the way, or, or God is currently restraining him so that he will be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but the one now restraining will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and will bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming. He's in, in verse 8, this is the, the crooks, this is the key verse. He's focusing them in that Jesus has not yet come. And when he does, he will destroy the man of lawlessness. The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working, verse 9, with every kind of miracle, both signs and wonders, serving the lie. And with every wicked deception among those who are perishing, they perish because they did not accept the love of the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe the lie, so that all will be condemned, those who did not believe the truth but delighted in unrighteousness." For the sake of reading this practically, we aren't going to talk about who the man of lawlessness is, or when he will come, or is has he already been revealed, or any such particulars. Instead, we see that he is first subjected to Jesus in verses 3 through 7, and 2, in ver- uh, number 2 here, in verse 8, he will be destroyed by Jesus with but a mere breath. It's not a fight to be settled. It's an already done deal. So verse 8, as I said before, is the key to focusing on Jesus. The main focus isn't the identity of the man of lawlessness, but on Jesus who will destroy him when he comes back. Remember, they were worried that they had missed Jesus. And Paul focuses them more on the fact that Jesus will return and will be victorious. The man of lawlessness will do his thing under the constraints of Christ. So to quote a friend when we're worried about these things, a friend named Glenn, he said, it's all on schedule. And that's something good to remember as we think about, man, who could it be? When when might he come? What are going to be the signs? Just remember, it's all on schedule. God is in control. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. So the third practical application we get from this chapter is that we are given encouragement to stand firm in an uncertain world. So Paul's first encouragement, so this is a twofold encouragement. His first encouragement is to remind the Thessalonians of their salvation in Jesus. I get that from verse 13 when he he reflects upon their salvation. And you can read that. It's a beautiful Uh, two verses, 13 and 14. Here's the thing. Remember your testimony. We can nor should ever move past this great truth. We never get past the gospel. Speak the gospel to yourself daily. So the second part of that encouragement is this. It draws together the teaching of the man of lawlessness and the reason that Paul wrote them. So he writes in verses 15 words like, So then, stand firm, hold on to. This is your hold the line moment. With all Paul has taught and wrote them, this should encourage them to stand strong against the plots of the enemy. You too stand firm in the scriptures, 
read them, know them, let your heart and mind marinate in God's truth. So as we conclude this episode and this chapter, we see first the enemy often attacks our hope in Jesus. Therefore, our response is to focus on good teaching, to focus our hearts on Jesus through good sources and good teaching. So when our hope is eroded, we go and we read about who Jesus is. We listen about who Jesus is, and then we focus our eyes on the hope that we have in Jesus, for he is in control of our spiritual enemies. Focus on the hope and the beauty of Jesus' final victory over sin. And finally, be encouraged by the gospel as well as the truth that Jesus really is in control and really is coming back. I want to close by reading verses 16 and 17. Is These two verses are Paul's prayer to the Thessalonians after he has finished teaching them what is kind of a hard teaching. But he writes this, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. That was Paul's prayer to the Thessalonians. That is my prayer for you as well. I'd like to thank you for joining me in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I look forward to joining you in chapter 3 next time. I'll see you there.